Welcome back to the show, everybody. Got a great episode for you today. Gonna be starting off with movie news like I usually do. After that, I will be reviewing 2022's X from A24, I believe. Uh, After that, Punisher Season 1. After that, I will be reviewing Pulp Fiction and then Moon Knight Episode 5. So, uh, yeah, lots to talk about today. But before I get into any of it, I would like to thank today's sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Audible, which, if you don't know, has a great selection of audiobooks, originals, and podcasts. And right now, if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash popculturepodcast, you can get a free 30-day trial of Audible Plus, which lets you listen to a selection of audiobooks, originals, sleep tracks, meditation programs, and podcasts. Or you can get a free 30-day trial of Audible Premium Plus, which gives you all of that from Audible Plus, as well as one free title per month from an extended selection of bestsellers and new releases. And you own those, so that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, if you want to go get that 30-day free trial of Audible, that website is www.audibletrial.com slash popculturepodcast. Now, on with the show. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. First piece of news here comes from The Direct, and their headline is Guardians of the Galaxy confirms surprising MCU character in Disney Plus holiday special. They go on to say here, Now thanks to a rap gift unveiled by director James Gunn, another character has been confirmed to be part of the future adventures. They say Cosmo confirmed for holiday special. Uh, ahead of the official rap of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, Director James Gunn shared one of his end-of-production gifts uh, with the world on Twitter. And uh, just looking at this, what am I seeing? I'm seeing some uh, holiday ornaments. That's cute. And they have different characters on there with Cosmo the Space Dog being on there. Um, Very cool. We got an introduction somewhat of Cosmo the Space Dog in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. He was in the Collector's Collection Uh, in one of those glass cases, and by the end of the movie, when um, Howard the Duck shows up, uh, Cosmo the Space Dog can be seen chilling. But um, I think he might have also been in in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in that Stan Lee scene, but I'm not 100% sure. But uh, it says here, the present in question features eight different Christmas ornaments, spotlighting characters such as Mantis, Drax, Nebula, Groot, uh, who looks to have grown into an older adolescent, uh, Star Wars, Star Wars, <laughs> Star Lord, Kraglin, and Rocket. Also surprisingly present is Cosmo, the Russian telepathic dog first seen in 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy within the uh, Collector's residence. This seemingly confirms the canine's involvement in one or both of the upcoming Marvel Studios projects. Um... So yeah, I'm very excited about that. That's that's really cool. Um, pretty interesting news there. Not something I expected, but seems like a very James Gunn thing to do. So what do you think about Cosmo the Space Dog? 
being in the Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special and possibly in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Comment down below, tell me what you think. But on to the next piece of news. This next piece of news here comes from Epic Stream, and their headline is Must Marvel Miss Miss Marvel? Miss Marvel Funko Pop listing teases major MCU characters' appearance. And uh goes on to say here, as shared by Twitter user at Scrooge0522. Uh, underscore Scrooge, underscore 0522. A listing for the Miss Marvel Funko Pop figures has spread online, which reveals that not only both Kamala Khan and Miss Marvel will be getting their own figures from the series, but also Captain Marvel herself as well. This highly suggests the that the Avenger is most likely going to show up in the series at some point. Check the tweet below. And uh, if you want to look up this picture here, it says... Pop Television, Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel. Um, Pop Television, Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. Pop Television, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel. Pop Television, Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, Halloween. And then Pop Television, Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel with Power, Amazon exclusive. So yeah, guess this means that most likely, unless this is fake, Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers herself, played by Brie Larson, will be showing up in Miss Marvel, which isn't too surprising because I believe Kamala Khan is supposed to show up in The Marvels, the second Captain Marvel movie, along with, uh, with uh, not Maria Rambo, but um, Monica Rambo from WandaVision, um, who is the daughter of Maria Rambo, the best friend of Captain Marvel. Um, and now that it seems like Monica, spoiler alert for WandaVision, has powers, you're going to have three superpowered people in one movie called The Marvels, and I'm very excited for it. Also, possibly a multiversal version of Monica Rambeau will be showing up in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Possibly. Maybe. I don't know. But what do you think about this news that Captain Marvel might be showing up in Miss Marvel? I mean, it seems inevitable. It seems like the right thing to do. Set up the Marvels movie and uh, bring the characters together. But... Yeah, tell me what you think down in the comments below. On to the next piece of news. And next piece of news here comes from Screen Rant. And their headline is, Netflix subscriber disaster explains Stranger Things Season 4 split. They go on to say here, Netflix's decision to split Stranger Things Season 4 into two premiere dates can be explained by its subscriber loss. Since its inception as a screen, uh, streaming service, <coughs> excuse me, streaming service, in uh, 2007, Netflix has successfully established itself as a reliable entertainment provider. However, for the first time in a decade, the platform has reported a loss in subscriber numbers. Aside from suggesting, uh, suggesting Netflix's inevitable decline, the disaster can also arguably uh, expound on major release dates, including that of Stranger Things. Um, at the end of 2022's first quarter, Netflix lost 200,000 subscribers, and while a general decrease in subscribers is typical in the streaming service world, this net loss is rare, a rare occurrence, uh, although it is mostly attributed to the suspension of service in, service in Russia, Netflix's subscriber disaster is also brought about by its content and operational strategies. Um, as more competitors arise, such as Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and HBO Max, Netflix is forced to rely on and create original shows and films. 
The problem with this approach, however, is as the uh, subscription price increases, the quality of content remains inconsistent and unimpressive, urging customers to look elsewhere. Consequently, when the huge subscriber loss was announced, Netflix's stock also plummeted, um, costing the company a sig uh, significant amount of money in the process, which I feel like I've heard something where um, Netflix is like heavily in debt because of the amount of original content they make. And um, now that they're losing subscribers, oh, a lot of them probably being because of Russia, but a lot also probably being because they announced they're going to be uh, charging more for multiple accounts or like multiple profiles on one account, um, which I think is bullshit. No other streaming service is doing that currently, and I don't think they plan to because that is just a really bad business move, to be honest. You're going to lose a lot more people than gain a lot more people. Um, not everybody wants to pay for Netflix, and the people that just use other people's Netflix, they're not going to be like, oh, all right, well, I guess I got to pay for it now. Maybe some of them, but most of them are just like, I just have it because this person has it, and I just kind of mooch off of them, but don't really use it. That's not how I am. Personally, I have Netflix right now, but I don't plan on keeping it. Um, I had a gift card for Netflix, so I'm just uh, keeping it as long as that gift card works for me, which probably won't work after this month because it's very expensive on Netflix right now too expensive and like when you have something like uh amazon prime video it makes sense why that's a little more expensive that's like 12.99 um a month i believe but on top of getting amazon prime video you also get the amazon prime like delivery service where you can get deals and also get things shipped to you faster so it's more than just the video content which i have to say at some point i think because i haven't tried out every streaming service but at some point in the near future, I'm thinking of doing like a streaming service tier list or ranking to try and decide which streaming service is the best. Uh, because there's a lot of factors and I don't think Amazon Prime Video is the best because a lot of their content on there, it's not 100% clear, um, you know, what you can watch and then like what you actually have to buy. Um, so there's good and bad things about a lot of streaming services, but my favorite I have to say right now is Disney+. Plus even though they are censoring some stuff when it comes to, like, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I kind of talked about a little bit a few episodes ago, I think. Um, certain things with, like, I think Daredevil or something like that. I don't know. They're they're changing things around, making it less violent, and I'm just like, you have the, the parental controls, so stop doing that shit. But, um, yeah, let me see what else this article says here, if it's anything important. Uh, if you didn't know, while the release model of Stranger Things Season 4, uh, which repeats a mistake previously committed by the show, was already been, was already been revealed months ago. Um, that doesn't make sense. Uh, Netflix's recent crisis can still shed light on this decision. Stranger Things is undoubtedly one of Netflix's most biggest shows, breaking viewership records in 2019. The three-year delay in releasing the sci-fi drama season four has also generated more hype, so it only makes sense for the streaming platform to stagger its episodes. By releasing Stranger Things season four in May and July, Netflix can stretch the demand for the show into different quarters, maintaining their subscription numbers and even encouraging growth. So yeah, um, Stranger Things season four is going to release like half of it 
um, on May, I'm not sure exactly what day in May, but, um, half of it will be released in May and the other half will be released in July, which I don't like that decision, but I get it from a business standpoint, why they're doing that, especially with this subscriber loss. But I feel like if you just said, okay, we're not going to do that, uh, that thing where you got to pay extra if you have multiple profiles on there. I feel like your numbers may go up a little bit or at least at the very least stay consistent. Um, cause I have a feeling with that announcement, they're only going to start going down more. But, uh, what do you think about this, uh, this Netflix stranger things for season new? Yeah. You know what I mean? Season four, stranger things news and Netflix news and all that kind of stuff, their subscriber loss and whatnot. Let me know what you think down in the comments below. I'm definitely curious what to, uh, what you think about this situation. Um, whether you think it's completely Russia, um, you know, losing subscribers in Russia because taking the platform away there, or do you think it also has to do with this decision to charge people more for having multiple profiles on their account? Uh, let me know down in the comments below, but on to the next piece of news. And the last piece of news here comes from Variety, and their headline is Super Mario Bros. Movie Delayed to 2023. And they go on to say here, Universal and Illumination Entertainment's upcoming adaptation of the Nintendo's Super Mario Bros. video game series has been delayed to 2023. The uh, Super Mario Bros. adaptation was originally set to release on December 21st, targeting a theatrical run through the holiday season. The film will now hit theaters on April 7th of 2023 in North America, and a Japanese release will follow on April 28th. So, uh, yeah, a little disappointing there, but I don't have that many high hopes for this movie, to be honest. Um, it has a relatively decent voice cast. Let me see if I can pull it up here on, uh, on IMDb. Super Mario Bros. Let me see. Uh, we have Anya Taylor-Joy as uh, Princess Peach, which, uh, decent casting there. I don't really know if I've heard any voice uh, voice work from Anya Taylor-Joy, but, uh, she's a great actress, so should be interesting. This is going to be an animated movie, like I said, so not going to be live action or anything, but we're going to get Chris Pratt as Mario, which I still don't know how I feel about that. Don't know if they're going to do the accent or not. I think they said they're not planning to, but come on, it's fucking Mario. You have to do the, uh, uh Italian accent, but it is a little stereotypical. I won't lie. Uh, Charlie Day coming in as Luigi, which I'm intrigued, hesitant, like hesitantly intrigued by. I love Charlie Day from like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I think he's really funny. So interested to see what he does there. Uh, Jack Black as Bowser. Interested to see that. I think that's pretty good casting. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong. Pretty cool there. Um, Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. And uh, that's pretty much the main cast there. Uh, main characters, I would say, even though I haven't seen the movie yet. But uh, Fred Armisen's going to be in it, too, as Cranky Kong. Don't know that character. Kevin Michael Richardson as Kamek. Don't know that character either. Sebastian Maniscalco, hopefully I'm saying that right, as Spike. Don't know that character. I mean, I played Super Mario Bros. a little bit, not like the original one, but like on the Wii. So I know a little bit, but I don't know all the characters, to be honest, but... We'll really have to wait and see how this movie is. Are you disappointed that this movie is being delayed to April of next year? Yes or no? For me, I can give or take whenever this movie comes out. I'm not really excited to watch it, but I'm intrigued. And we'll see how it is. But 
Like I said, that is my last piece of news for today, so let's review the movie X. 2022's X is an A24 horror film directed and written by Ty West, who has worked on a lot of horror movies, it looks like. 2012's VH, uh, VHS, um, tw- uh, 2009's The House of the Devil, uh, 2011's The Innkeepers, and uh, yeah, various other movies. Uh, what else here? Uh, let me see. The cast here, we got Mia Goth as Maxine, which just based off of looking at her IMDb, I'm not familiar with any of the things that she's worked on. Oh, that's not true. Emma and uh, Everest, The Cure for Wellness. I'm familiar with those, just haven't watched them. Uh, we also have Brittany Snow as Bobby Lynn. Uh, Brittany Snow has been in a lot of movies, but I remember her from the Pitch Perfect movies. Uh, we have Jenna Ortega, the horror queen herself right now, because honestly, she's been doing a lot of horror movies. But uh, she plays Lorraine. Um, we have Kid Cudi as Jackson. Martin Henderson as Wayne, Owen Campbell as RJ, Stephen Err or Ur, as uh, Howard, and uh, they don't have the wife in here listed on IMDb. I'm not sure why, but um, if you don't know what this movie is about, here's the synopsis. In 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural, rural Texas, but when they're relusive, uh, reclusive, elderly hosts catch them in the act the cast find themselves fighting for their lives um a lot of people have been saying this is a really amazing movie one of the best slasher films of the last like however many decades and i'm here to say i don't quite agree with that i think the 2018 halloween michael myers movie was really good um better than this to be honest um this movie being by a24 a lot of their movies are hit or miss for me and a lot of them can be you know, style over substance, and in this case, I kind of think that's what this movie is, I know I'm probably breaking a lot of people's hearts, fans of this movie, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's great cinematography, great sound editing, um, they make this film feel like an older film than it actually is, with the audio and the video, um, which I found really interesting, there's a freaking plane going by as I'm recording, but, um, yeah, nothing really happens, in terms of, like, anything gore or horror or violent-related until pretty much an hour in. And um, up till that point, it's just really slow. There's a few moments in there where I'm just like, hey, that's kind of funny. They have a few funny lines. But, um, you know, there's some weird imagery. They're just setting things up, setting the suspense. But I don't know. The, the gore just didn't do it for me. Like, I've seen a lot gorier, a lot more violent. And... Um, I feel like I've just seen this done better, to be honest. The story is kind of interesting, but honestly, there's more sex in this movie than violence, gore, and horror. (laughs) And, um, you know, that's kind of how I felt about uh, Game of Thrones, too, at some times. It's like, this is more sex than violence most of the time. And uh, while I don't mind that, uh, I don't know, I don't think it's anything that really carries the movie. I think the thing that should carry the movie is the the horror elements to it, but for me, it really just doesn't. Um, I mean, there's some decent gore moments in there, some decent kills, but I don't know. I did. I mean, I liked the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix 
for the most part. I think they did the gore really well there. And uh, I don't know. I hate to give this movie a lower score than what I gave that, which I don't remember what I gave that. But I have to give it a 6.5 out of 10 just based off of what I'm feeling. Um, I mean, the actors did a decent job. I don't think most of them got a whole lot to do. The main main cast member here, Mia Goth as Maxine, she got the most to do out of all of them, I feel like. Um, that and maybe Brittany Snow as Bobby Lynn. And a little bit of Jenna Ortega as Lorraine. But honestly, like, none of them fully get enough time to shine. And, which is weird, because it's all just character development for the first hour of the film. And that's just 45 minutes of straight-up gore. But, um, I'm really not blown away by this movie. I'm not. And, uh, I don't... While I can understand why people like this... It's just not what I was expecting, and maybe I should have gone in with, like, no expectations, but the fact that people were saying, oh, this is the best, like, slasher movie in however many decades, I'm just like, I don't agree with that. I feel like I've seen a lot better slasher movies in the past few decades, in the past decade, honestly, in the past few years. Um, You know, like I said, Halloween 2018 really did it for me. And uh, the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, while it's not the greatest script, the kills in there were pretty awesome. And here it just felt a little lackluster for me. I feel like I've seen certain gore moments done a lot better. And um, seen a lot more fucked up. So this movie's pretty vanilla in terms of the shit I've seen. Plus I recently watched Punisher Season 1 and that shit was just fucking brutal. So uh, it had a lot to live up to for sure. And for me it just didn't live up to the hype and what it could have been. But uh, have you seen X from 2022? What did you think about it? Let me know down in the comments below. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Are you in the middle? I'm kind of in the middle. I appreciate certain aspects of it, but it's probably nothing I'm going to rewatch anytime soon or maybe ever. Not going to end up on my top 10 worst of this year, but definitely not going to end up on my top 10 best, which is a little disappointing because this is a movie I wanted to see in the theaters, just didn't have time to do. And now that it's on digital, I was like, hey, might as well watch this and review it. And I uh, was, was definitely let down, but um, pretty good cast there. They just didn't really get a lot to do to feel, I feel like, um, you know, you had an hour of character development, like I said, but still like not everybody really got their time to shine. So maybe it's just me. Maybe that's just how I feel. I'm sure a lot of other people love this movie. I think it's a great horror movie. I think it's a great slasher movie. I appreciate certain aspects of it, but. Just not for me at the end of the day. I've seen a lot more gruesome and, I don't know, just better horror in general. Uh, I mean, like The Babadook, that was a great movie. I really love the first Conjuring movie. Second one's pretty good, but not as good as the first. Um, but those aren't really slasher movies. Those are supernatural. But like I said twice already, 2018's Halloween. thought that was pretty great. And there's some other ones in there that I'm probably forgetting, but... I mean, we've had some great slasher movies, so it's a lot to live up to. Um, and I don't think this movie quite lived up to the hype for me. But, yeah, there's my review for X. Now, on to the last review. Alright, The Punisher Season 1. By the way, if you hear anything in the background, I think some birds are having sex outside my window. But, yeah, this first season came out in 2017. And uh, stars John Bernthal as Frank Castle slash The Punisher... We also have newcomer Amber Rose Riva as Diana Madani, I believe. Uh, ben Barnes as Billy Russo. Jason R. Moore as Curtis Hoyle. Ebon Moss 
Bear Backrock Backrock as David Lieberman. Uh and I think that's pretty much for the most part the main cast of this first season here. Um what do I have to say about this show? I liked it more than Iron Fist, and I liked it more than The Defenders, but not more than anything else. Um, I really liked the introduction of Frank Castle slash Punisher in Daredevil Season 2. He was my favorite part of that season, and I did not care for that season all that much. But with this show, I was very excited to get into it and see the badassery that Frank Castle has to offer, and for the most part... He he delivers. Um, you know, the beginning of this show, and it's like this for a lot of the Marvel Netflix shows for me, the beginning and the ending of the shows are spectacular. The seasons, that is. Um, but the in-between parts are where it starts to get slow and a little boring and just really not that interesting. And that's how it was for this show for me. Uh, anything having to do with uh, Madani, she's like an FBI agent, a lot of her scenes felt really boring to me, and uh, it almost feels necessary in all these shows to have at least one person who's like, you know, law enforcement or something like that. And uh, I really don't feel like it's necessary in every show to have like a law enforcement character that's like a good guy. Uh, I don't know. I get it, though, because like you're dealing with vigilantes, essentially, and you have to have the law around. But especially in this case where you have... um you have these mercenaries and stuff like that and a lot of a lot of bodies dropping everywhere so this uh this season more than any other season of any of the other shows I've watched is the most badass and also most violent that any of these shows have ever been they do not hold back and um they try to have like nice messages about gun violence but at at the end of the day it's like when you're not using guns, you're using other things and being more creative and a lot more gruesome. And uh, the message kind of got lost there, but I still enjoyed it. And goddamn, like there were moments in here where I was just like almost yelling. I was just like, holy shit, what the fuck? Um, Frank Castle does not hold back. And I really enjoyed that aspect. Um, ben Barnes as Billy Russo. I thought his character was okay. Um, he's just kind of a generic mercenary dude for the most part. He has his crazy moments, but um, Eben Moss, um, sorry, I can't pronounce that last name, as uh, David Lieberman. I really liked his character in here because I won't get into two specifics. When it comes to reviewing these Marvel Netflix shows, I don't go into heavy spoilers. It's just mild, mild spoilers ahead. Um, just because if I wanted to, going to spoilers, I'd feel like I have to break down, like, the whole show, and, um, uh, I'll be honest, this one, out of all the shows, took me the longest to get through, about a week, uh, there were days where I didn't want to watch it at all, and I didn't, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the strongest show for me, I think the strongest season overall is still Daredevil season one, uh, that, that one is just, like, almost perfect to me, but, when it comes to the rest of these, they're all a little underwhelming. This one, I mean, with the good action and the crazy violence, it made the show enough for me. But uh, it felt in a way that the Punisher was a little weak at times, just a little bit. Um, 
but he can really take a punch. He can really take a stab. He can really take a bullet. That's for sure. Um, and when he gets into his moments where he's fighting people, he like yells and goes crazy and he's almost like a gorilla and it's terrifying, dude. He's, he's terrifying. And, uh, John Bernthal does such a great job with the character. I'm definitely excited to watch the second season. And, uh, if a certain character that appeared in this season comes back in the next one, then I'm going to be very excited. I hope so, because, uh, I would like to see where that goes in the next season. Hopefully that happens and it's not like, oh, well, we just didn't end up making another season, so you never got to see that. But uh, there is one character in here. Let me see if I can find him. IMDb is all always kind of a pain in the ass. But let me see here. I might have to do something else. Bear with me. Bear with me. Yeah, one sec here is he in what i'm thinking he was in i'm pretty sure uh what's that movie called rocket man there we go one sec yeah so there's a character in here oh maybe it wasn't jamie bell yeah i don't think it was actually uh okay so there was an actor in here oh wait that's where i know him from one second um oh shoot the dirt pretty sure this is it um, Daniel Weber, yeah, that's right, Daniel Weber, uh, who played, um, Vince Neal in The Dirt, which is a favorite movie of mine, he played a character in here, Lewis Welcott, who is a veteran, who's going through a lot of PTSD, and, uh, honestly, I feel like, I don't want to spoil anything huge here, but I feel like he should have been, like, the villain of this season, um, because, just what they set up with him being, like, somebody who does bad things, but, like, is really going through it and you can really have sympathy for, I think that would have been a lot more interesting of a villain than what we got. But I understand why we had the villain that we had because it was really important to set up Frank Castle's story, essentially. We got to see a little bit of it in Daredevil Season 2, but this really solidifies it and goes into it and gives you all the details. Um, overall, I don't know, not a very long review here. I'm trying to make it a little, at least 10 minutes. Um, but like Deborah Ann Wolf comes in here and as Karen Page. She doesn't have a huge role in the show. But, um, you know, I like her for the most part. This is actually the first show, the first season of all these shows that doesn't have Rosario Dawson coming in as Claire Temple. Um, she was almost like the Stan Lee of these Marvel Netflix shows just popping up in each one. But, um, uh, what else can I say about this? Yeah. David Lieberman, I thought was a really good character there. Um, I guess I can get into some of his backstory a little bit. He's like a hacker dude. I forget what his hacker's name is, but, um, essentially like Frank Castle in the beginning of this season, uh, both of them are, believed to be, to be dead by everybody except for like a f the few people that know they're alive but um he has his family he has a wife he has a daughter and a son and since he's a hacker he has these cameras set up throughout the house and watches them like he's almost there and um those moments I really loved and just the way his story you know 
moved forward throughout the season. It, it honestly made him one of the standouts of the show for me, even more so than John Bernthal as the Punisher at times. But yeah, like I said, a really good opening, like really good first couple of episodes. Um, and then really good last couple of episodes. I will say what happened in episode 12, I almost felt like, man, you could really end the season here. And I forgot there were 13 episodes, so I almost thought that that was the end of the season. And I was like, that's a really good way to wrap it up, leave it really open-ended for the next season. But uh, no, there was another episode, and they wrapped it up nice, but also set up things for the next season really well. And uh, I feel like for this one, they did something where in uh, like the Defenders and other shows like Iron Fist, they they don't deal with the villain like... 20 minutes into the last episode and then the last like 30 minutes or so are just set up for the next season. They don't do that here. They, it's almost up to the last moment. They kind of end it nicely for the first season and then set certain things up for the most part. So, um, yeah, overall I didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did, but the way that it wrapped up, it just really made the show for me to be honest. Um, there's a lot of really great aspects of it, but I would say the middle of the show, like the middle of the season is when it really started to slow down and kind of become a little boring. So for that reason, I'm going to have to give this a seven out of 10, still a really good score. I would probably put this up there with, uh, with like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage season one, um, and above the Defenders and Iron Fist. But for those of you who don't know, I'm, uh, and I might have said this in the intro already, but I'm going to be watching all these Marvel Netflix shows up until I finish every season of every show. And then after that, I will be doing a, uh, yeah, a tier list for, for all the shows. So I don't know if there's going to be an S tier. Usually the way I do it, S tier is above A, which I know doesn't really make sense, but it's supposed to be like A++ essentially. Now, I'll probably just be doing A tier, B tier, C tier, and D tier, which, you know, if you've been listening to the episodes, you can probably guess where some of them are being placed already. But, uh, yeah, The Punisher Season 1. Have you watched it? Let me know what you think down in the comments below. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Are you in the middle? I'm in the middle, leaning towards more. I like it. So, 7, seven out of 10 is not bad at all in my book. I gave Daredevil Season 1 an 8 out of 10, um, either an 8 or an 8.5. I think it was an 8. And then like Jessica Jones and uh, Luke Cage, I think I gave a 7.5. This technically, you know, I would say that would go in the in the C range. But, um, you know, let's give it a 7.5. No, 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 no. Let's give it a 7. 7 is accurate to how I feel. <laughs> um, but I'd still put it in the B tier, even though I think I gave the Defenders a 7. Either that or a 6.5. Um, but Iron Fist, I think I gave like a two out of 10. It's as bad as everybody says. It's, it's not good at all, but yeah, like I said, there's my review for the Punisher season one. Now let's get on to the next review. All right. 1994's Pulp Fiction. I think this is a movie I've reviewed on the podcast before, but I think that was back in 2020. So it's been a while, but, uh, yeah, who doesn't know Pulp Fiction? It's one of the greatest movies of all time, at least in my opinion, definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. That and Kill Bill Volume 1, both being directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. 
Um, in this movie, we have John Travolta as Vincent Vega. We also have Samuel L. Jackson as Jules Winfield. Uma Thurman as Mia Wallace. Bruce Willis as Butch Cool Coolidge. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Uh, who else do we have here? We have Ving Rhames as Marcellus Wallace. Uh, we got Tim Roth as Pumpkin. Uh, who else do we have here? Amanda Plummer as Honey Bunny. And uh, I think that's pretty much the main cast for the most part. Um, there is a cameo from... Uh, well, I didn't notice this before, but the uh, waiter at Jackrabbit Slims, if you watch the movie, the guy who is Buddy Holly, is actually played by Steve Buscemi, which I've never never caught that before. But now, just based on the way he talks, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely Steve Buscemi. But uh, Christopher Walken also has a scene in this movie as Captain Coons. Not a great name there, but uh, uh, Maria Del Med... Medeiros, probably saying that wrong, as Fabian, uh, the girlfriend of Butch's uh, well, Bruce Willis's character, Butch. Kathy Griffin has a small cameo in here as herself, I guess. Um, but the one I wanted to talk about was Quentin Tarantino as Jimmy. Um, obviously he's the director and writer of the film and has a scene in this movie, uh, with Harvey Keitel as the wolf. Pretty pretty good scene there, but slightly controversial to today's standards, even for the 90s, like, really. But um, if you don't know what it's about here, here's the synopsis. The lives of two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster, and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwine in four tales of violence and redemption. Um, if you've seen Kill Bill Volume 1, and I think a little bit of Volume 2, I don't know if it does the same thing, but... These scenes kind of go out of order, and that's what they do with this film. And, um, I don't know, it's just a little flavor that Quentin Tarantino likes to put onto his movies. That, along with having shots of feet, which he seems to be quite infatuated with. But, um, I mean, I, I can't fault him for some of the things that he chooses to do. Not 100%. I mean, the use of the N-word... I'm not feeling that. I mean, with Django Unchained, I get it because that's like the main thing of that movie is like, you know, Django was a slave, but now he's a free man. And uh, in that time, obviously black people were slaves, so it makes sense why the N-word is heavily used in that movie. But for something like this, I mean, it came out in 94, but it looks like it's supposed to take place in like the 80s or 70s, possibly. Uh, I could be wrong, but... I mean, I guess at the time it's still a word that was used, but nowadays, by today's standards, not as comfortable to watch for most people, and not really for me either, but I'm willing to look past those aspects and enjoy the other parts of the movie that I really love. Um, I mean, the characters here, they're great. There's so many great quotable lines in this movie, and um, I mean, the actors in here are just a force to be reckoned with, that is for sure. Um, I mean, Uma Thurman, she's great. Played uh, The Bride and Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2. Bruce Willis, you know, Die Hard, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Tim Roth has been in a couple of uh, Tarantino movies. I believe he was also in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, looks like he was in The Hateful Eight as well. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I guess, too. I don't think I remember him being in that, but I guess he is. 
And uh, that's a common thing when it comes to Samuel L. Jackson as well. I believe this has been in at least four of Quentin Tarantino's movies. Uh, this one, The Hateful Eight. Uh, what else? I know he was in Django Unchained as well. And I feel like there's one I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah. Um, Jackie Brown. And let me make sure there's not any other ones. I think that's it. But still, oh, and Glorious, <clears throat> Glorious Bastards as well as the narrator. It's been a minute since I've watched that movie. But yeah, looks like maybe five. So yeah, he's definitely, uh, looks like he showed up in volume two of Kill Bill as well. I don't remember that, but again, it's been a while since I've watched that. I'll definitely have to go back and watch it sometime soon and maybe review it for the podcast. But definitely has worked with Quentin Tarantino on multiple occasions for good majority of his movies seems like um john travolta you might know him from greece uh saturday night fever um you know he's been in a few classics and then a lot of the movies i've seen with him i just i don't care for all that much to be honest but i think he's a good actor overall um but yeah a lot of a lot of really great actors in here ving rames know him from the mission impossible movies um, and he's also the Arby's guy, but, uh, yeah, let me get into the plot a little bit more. You have Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield, um, who are partners in crime, quite literally. They work for, uh, Ving Rames, Ving Rames killer, killer, <laughs> Ving Rames character, uh, Marcellus Wallace, and, um, they go off and do hits for him and shit like that, do his dirty work. So the, they're a couple gangsters, really. Uh, and Marcellus Wallace is going out of town, so Vincent Vega has to take out his wife, Mia Wallace. Not take out as in kill her, but take her out. You know, give her good company and stuff like that. Well, well uh, Marcellus Wallace is out of town. Jules, um, I mean, if for people that haven't seen this movie, I don't want to give anything away, but... A lot of people have watched this movie. He's kind of at conflict with, um, you know, what he's doing and what he wants to do with life. He has this Bible scripture that he uh, he quotes before he kills people. And uh, he starts to kind of believe in that scripture more than he thought he would just using it. He, he always used it as kind of like a fear tactic, something to kind of hype him up and do what he needs to do. But... Now he's kind of rethinking things, um, but yeah, he's a pretty good character. Overall, I, I would say my favorite character is probably Jules. Um, he, he's definitely a great one, but Bruce Willis's character as well, Butch, I think is a real standout. Vincent Vega is pretty great too, but to be honest, uh, he's kind of a piece of shit. I won't lie. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a fairly simple plot, to be honest. It's just a couple of gangsters, really doing work for the bigger guy, or for the big guy, but it's the things that happen in between that really make the movie, like, um, a lot of, a lot of the time movies rely, or should rely on the story, and, um, just have a really good overarching story to it, overarching narrative, um, and this movie has that, but having scenes out of place, it kind of mixes things up a little bit, certain characters have certain things happen to them, 
and then they show up in other scenes and those things didn't happen and they're wearing different clothes and all that kind of stuff um so it's a little weird for some some movie watchers some casual viewer uh viewers that aren't used to that kind of thing and uh i mean i get it but uh i mean like i said the overarching story is pretty good but the thing that really makes this movie is just the things that happen in between to these characters, for these characters, with these characters, all kinds of stuff. All sorts of crazy situations involving, oof, without getting too deep into spoilers, you got swords, guns, uh, you got heroin, cocaine, dance competitions, and uh, you also have a gimp, which I will not elaborate any more on. But, um, yeah, if you haven't watched Pulp Fiction, hopefully I didn't give too much away. But it is a fantastic movie, and I highly recommend all of you out there watch it. It might not be for everybody. Like I said, with the usage of the N-word in the movie, it can make some people uncomfortable and not want to watch it and be upset by it. I completely get that. But for me, it's like one of those things, I don't agree with it, but shit, like the rest of this movie is really good. So if it's just that small bit of stuff that really I don't I don't enjoy and doesn't settle settle well with me I'm still like there's still you know there's still uh you know like a two hours and 25 minutes of good material and a good movie that that doesn't revolve around the use of the n-word so um like I said really great movie there's certain things that are a little outdated some people might find offensive that's completely okay that's your opinion my opinion is like i i am not the one to be offended by it but at the same time like it's it's not right but yeah that's all i can really say about it like i guess i'm giving it a pass but i really shouldn't and people in general probably shouldn't but it's hard not to do it when it's pulp fucking fiction it's it's one of the greatest movies of all time and if that's just one thing I have to deal with that I don't like about the movie and everything else is nearly perfect for me, then that's just something I'm going to have to deal with. But I would definitely recommend you guys check it out. Like I've said, really great movie. Uh, definitely in my top 10, maybe even my top 5 of all time. But really great cast, really great story, and just a lot of crazy shit that happens along the way. So there's my review for Pulp Fiction from 1994. Have you seen it? Comment down below. Tell me what you think. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Are you in between? I definitely love this movie. And if I had to give a rating out of 10, I think I'd give it a 9.5 out of 10. It's nearly perfect for me. But uh, just some of the things that Quentin Tarantino decided to do uh, didn't, didn't fully love and don't agree with. But it is what it is. So, yeah. Have you not seen Pulp Fiction? Are you going to watch it now that I uh, told you to do it? Yes, no, maybe so. But uh, let's get on to the last review, which is for Moon Knight Episode 5. And last but certainly not least, Moon Knight Episode 5, titled Asylum. And uh, if you don't want to hear any spoilers for Episode 5 of Moon Knight, or really any of the season so far, then uh, I suggest you click off the video, because I'm just going to get straight into spoilers here. There's really no point in just saying, like, oh yeah, it's good, but that's all I can say. Um... So yeah, I feel like uh, reviews for specific episodes should mainly be spoiler-filled, I guess. Kind of 
not breakdowns because I'm not a professional. I don't know all the stuff from the comics and I can't explain everything, but you know, I like to talk about spoilers. So yeah, like I said, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, then I suggest you click off the video because this is the last topic. But before you leave, I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Culture Podcast, and the link in the bio of my Instagram page will take you to my website, Made Through Wix, where you can, excuse me, hiccups, where you can find where to watch this on YouTube, where to listen on all major podcast platforms, and there is a link to my T Public store. I have three designs available with many different merch items available on there. There's mugs, t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, uh, hoodies, baby clothes. Um, what else do they have on there? Tapestries, notebooks, phone cases, laptop cases, magnets, stickers. Yeah, they have all sorts of stuff. And like I said, I have, I have uh, three designs on there. One of them being the kind of classic, just regular pop culture podcast logo tee. Um, kind of inspired by Star Wars there. And uh, I really like that design. I have it on a t-shirt myself. And the Tee Public t-shirts are very comfortable. But um, I also have a kind of trippy slash retro design of the uh, the podcast logo. I think that one looks pretty cool. And then the newest one I put on there is actually inspired by Doctor Strange. It's kind of like a portal. It says Pop Culture Podcast uh, Established 2020. Um and it's a little bit of a Doctor Strange portal opening up. And then you kind of have like the red cape, kind of like a silhouette of the red cape, um, as well as the eye of Agamotto. And the head on there is actually, it has blonde hair because I'm blonde. So try to make it look slightly like myself. But I think that design looks really cool. I put put some work into that one and made it interesting. And with the release of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness... I think it'd be a fun one to pick up and wear to the movie theater if you do go see it. So, uh, yeah, I would appreciate if you go and pick up any of those merchandise items or any of the designs on my uh, T Public page. Once again, that is the link in the bio of my Instagram page at Pop Culture Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube, I'll also link it down below. But, um, yeah, the link in the bio of my Instagram page takes to my website and then there should be a link to the T public store on there but uh yeah for those of you leaving the video who don't want to hear spoilers for moon Knight episode five see you later catch you in the next one probably be uploading on either friday or saturday most likely saturday since this episode was posted a day later than i usually post it but wanted to review moon Knight for this episode but yeah uh see you guys later and for the people sticking around what's up Let's, uh, let's get into some spoilers. So uh, after the last episode, I won't lie, I wasn't a huge fan of the last episode. Um, but by the end of it, I was just like, what the fuck is going on? And I think that's how a lot of people were, at least with the what the fuck is going on part. A lot of people really seem to like that episode for the most part with reactions and reviews I've watched. But I don't think it's a bad episode. Looking back on it, I'm like, there's elements I like. It's just not the strongest one out of all of them so far. But this episode, episode 5, titled Asylum, is definitely the strongest one yet. I loved the hell out of this episode. And funny enough, I loved it so much, yet the Moon Knight costume, or the Mr. Knight costume, wasn't even in it. 
And Kanchu was, he was technically in it, but not actively doing anything, like, in the main timeline, I guess. It was like a flashback. But, um, yeah, we got to see the flashback of Mark getting the Moon Knight powers. And that was pretty cool. We already kind of knew the story. It was talked about a little bit with Mark and Layla, where he said they were talking about how um, he was trying to save her father and uh, he ended up getting killed for it or pretty much killed for it. Almost killed is the right phrase I'm looking for. Um, No Layla in this episode, but we do get to see a little bit of Arthur Harrow kind of being the psychiatrist here. And the funniest thing in this episode, fucking Steven is talking to Arthur Harrow or Dr. Harrow, I guess. And, uh, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Shit, I almost said Kevin Bacon. It's not Kevin Bacon. Why am I completely fucking blanking on his name? As soon as I start looking it up is when I'm going to remember it. Or maybe not. Oh, bear with me. Ethan Hawke, there we go. Yeah, Ethan Hawke kind of has like a mustache and kind of somewhat slicked back hair uh, with glasses, and Steven's like, you got a Ned Flanders thing going on here, and I was like, that is so fucking funny, yeah, so fucking accurate. But, um, yeah, we get to see Mark and Steven kind of being in the patient's seat with Dr. Haro talking to them, trying to work them through their issues, and uh, we get a lot of Mark's backstory in this episode, and a lot of people were saying, like, oh, I like, I like Steven more than Mark uh, because Steven is nice and Mark is kind of an asshole. But now seeing Mark's background, you'll, you understand a lot of what makes him tick and why he is the way he is because he had a really fucked up childhood. And honestly, those scenes with his mother just made me fucking sick. Um, but it was really good like character development good story just seeing that and um you know that scene where steven's talking to him like and talking about his brother uh what was it roro yeah um his brother roro died they were in a cave and it started to rain and then the cave started flooding and uh yeah mark was the only one to get out of that and his mother blamed him looked like she uh, she became an alcoholic and became very abusive. And we don't get to see, obviously, his mother beating uh, the young Mark. Uh, obviously, because, no, uh, we don't need to see that. Especially for, like, a TV-14 show, which, for me, this is the darkest the show has gotten so far. Um, I wouldn't quite say the TV-MA, like, rating is what this episode should have gotten. Um, but it's delving into that territory for sure. And I'm surprised this episode with the things going on, uh, that this is the darkest out of everything we've had so far. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but man, this was a really heavy episode. There were moments of humor, but there were also really heartwarming moments. Like that scene I was trying to say, um, where Steven's like, it's not your fault, you were a kid. Like, that scene hit me so fucking hard, and it's kind of making me tear up right now. Like, goddamn. I mean, I can't relate to that. I haven't had anything that traumatic happen to me as a child, other than obviously losing loved ones, but not as... Not quite as traumatic as, you know, drowning in a cave. But, um... Yeah, it's just... 
it was really rough to see how Mark was brought up and what happened with his mother and the fact that his father just didn't really do anything to help the situation. Ugh. It just fucking broke my heart. I can't lie. I, it, it was hard for me to watch. But, um, man. And sorry if I sound kind of groggy right now. It's really late. I typically stay up quite late to watch these episodes when they air. Uh, so I can review them and edit and do all that shit that I need to do. But uh, what else do I have to say here? The hippo, um, the hippopotamus lady, her name is Tar Tarwerit. Probably saying that wrong. Um, she's like an Egyptian goddess. Uh, and then we have their, uh, Mark and Steven. They're in the realm of Duat. Sorry, one sec. That was weird. A light went off, but I can't seem to figure out. Oh, it was my laptop. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so they're in the realm of Duat, which is the Egyptian underworld. And uh, essentially they're heading towards, what is it called? The Field of Reeds, which is essentially the Egyptian heaven. And, um, you know, they have the scales there, kind of like how Arthur Harrow has the scales on his arm, kind of like a tattoo on there. Um but the scales aren't balanced because uh, she takes out the hearts and they aren't balanced. So throughout the episode, Mark and Steven have to work their, through their issues, not only, you know, their personal issues, but like their issue. Well, I guess personal, <laughs> they're the same person technically, but like they have two different personalities, two different, well, similar memories, but it's just they need to work through it you know, both on their own and with each other, mostly with each other, because obviously they're the same person. But yeah, I mean, really great episode in terms of character development, not only for Steven, but for Mark. Um, we got a lot of, well, maybe not a lot, but we got a decent amount of character development from Layla in the uh, last episode. And we get a little bit of character development from Mark over time, but the most we've seen so far is Steven. And uh, I would definitely say this is a more Mark-heavy episode, and I am here for it because just hearing, or hearing and seeing his story about his his uh, his childhood, it was heavy, but um, it really added a lot to the show for me, and um, I'm really intrigued to see what they do with this last episode because they only have one episode left after this airing next Wednesday. And uh, I'm really curious how, to, how uh, to see how they wrap it up. Um, I, I'm wondering if it's going to be the longest one out of all the episodes. I hope so, because it seems like they have a lot to do. And, you know, typically like a 50-minute span, uh, maybe even less. But, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say. Let me look at my notes here. I mean, Mark, uh, we get to see young Mark developing the personality of uh of Stephen Grant which comes from a uh I can't remember the name of the movie that it's referring to but it's basically like Indiana Jones um something tomb I don't even remember tomb smashers <laughs> but the uh the doctor there his name is Dr. Stephen Grant which I pointed out in another review for one of the Moon Knight episodes that uh Stephen uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America, his full name is actually Stephen Grant Rogers. So I also speculated that maybe it came from that, but 
seems like it's coming from the movie uh, that they're referring to here. But I wonder in the comics if that's how that name came about. Maybe I'll have to look that up at some point, but not right now. Um, so yeah, it was cool to see the uh, child actor switch to that kind of British uh, alter ego, I guess he could say. Um, I think the child actor did a good job switching between the two. So uh, props to him. But yeah, really dark scene. Well, really dark scenes with his mom in general. It was really hard to watch, but goddamn, what a good episode. That is for sure. And again, it's funny that, you know, we don't have... Well, I guess we do get to see Moon Knight dressed up in this episode, but it's more of a flashback and it just happens for like a few seconds. It's not like the main focus of the episode. This is a very character-driven episode, and um, I really love it, man. <laughs> this is definitely definitely my favorite episode so far. It's so fucking good, and I'm just hoping that episode 6 will top it. But we shall see. What did you think of episode 5 of Moon Knight titled Asylum? Let me know down in the comments below. I would definitely love to know. Or if you're listening on any podcast platform, you know, DM, DM me on Instagram at Pop Culture Podcast. Excuse me, hiccups again. I'm also on Facebook at Pop Culture Podcast. But like I said before, uh, the link in the bio of my Instagram page will take you to my website where you can find where to watch this on YouTube and where to listen on all major podcast platforms, as well as that link to the Tee Public page. Uh, there should be also like a contact page on there. But really, if you want to contact me, I mean, you can co- uh, contact me at pcpod20 at gmail.com. I know that sounds like a bad, bad, uh, bad email name, but supposed to be PC pod 20, not PCP, like the drug OD, like overdosing. That's just awful. Definitely should have picked a different name for that. But, uh, oh, well, I think pop culture podcast was taken. But, uh, yeah, you can contact me through my email if you want. But the best way to contact me is just on Instagram at pop culture podcast. DM me, comment on one of my photos, whatever you want to do. But, yeah, that's all I have for this episode. I want to thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, I'll be back on either Friday or Saturday to talk about Memory, which is a new Liam Neeson movie. Oh, boy. I don't watch many of those, but a lot of them are pretty similar to each other. Uh, and then, oh, what was the other one? Father Stew with uh, with Mark Wahlberg. And then there was something else I was going to watch, too. I actually don't know what I'm going to watch yet. Uh, I'm just going to pick something at random because before I was going to talk about Moon Knight on Friday... Um, so I'd have three topics there and three topics for this episode, but I wanted to wait a day and, uh, post this episode on Wednesday so I could post the Moon Knight review on the same day it aired. But, um, yeah, I'll figure out what, what I'll watch. Feel free to comment down below what you think I should watch and, uh, I'll see you guys in the next one. So, uh, peace. (laughs) 